Peregrine Capital celebrates its 25th anniversary this year, making it the oldest hedge fund manager in South Africa. Its flagship Peregrine Capital Pure Hedge Fund has had the added distinction of never having experienced a negative year in its 25-year history. The company was formed in 1998 when hedge funds were regarded as occupying the more exotic fringes of the investment landscape. They're much more mainstream today, offering a range of strategies to hedge against market uncertainties. Joining us to talk about the hedge fund industry and Peregrine Capital's 25-year journey is David Fraser, chairman and co-founder of the company. Hi, David. First of all, congratulations on your 25 years. I guess it's worth asking, how did it all begin? Thanks, Kieran. I mean, I think um, the reason that that, that, that Clive Nates and myself uh, started Peregrine Capital, I think we both came from a institutional asset management background. We were both at Liberty Asset Management at the time. And I think what we learned there was a process of disciplined investing. Um, in other words, fundamental deep down research. And I think that was the, the one thing we took out of institutional asset management. And the one thing that we really wanted to leave is the, the, the sort of red tape and the process of decision making and particularly the process of slow and cumbersome decision making. So we thought if we if we could combine research fundamental research excellence with a rapid decision making process we thought potentially we could really have a winning formula so again we try to pick out the best points out of the institutional asset management um, institutional asset management uh, process and combine it with a flat decision making structure which i think we've done pretty successfully um, i think when we started certainly hedge funds as you say was a bit of a bit of a swear word there really were, well, you know, there wasn't many hedge funds in, in South Africa. There was a couple overseas who used to come in here. You know, and at that time, our main competition were were really from the, the sort of trading banks. Um, Gensec was a pretty active uh, participant in the market in those days. And that's mainly where our sort of competition came from. You've seen a few rather interesting and turbulent times, no doubt enjoyable times as well. You've experienced the dot-com bust in the early 2000s through to the financial crisis 2008, and then, of course, COVID in 2020 and a lot in between. You're an early investor in Capitec. I suppose you saw its potential way back then, and you also bought the offshore debt of the collapsed African bank. Take us through some of the key events that define the 25 years that you've just now that you're just now celebrating? Well, I, I think when you look at the sort of compound returns over that period, I mean, clearly the, the, the big kickers that you mentioned do, do, do certainly aid the process, but it's, it's the lots of little things and doing lots of little things right that really make the difference. And, and, and probably even more fundamentally is just avoiding the large drawdowns. I think that I always have a saying at work that if, if we just avoid the big drawdowns, we end up kind of plus six at the beginning of the year. Um, so I think that's obviously a very important point. But you know, maybe to go through something like Capitec, I think that um, you know, we recognized it pretty early. Um, at that stage, it was a micro lender with aspirations to be a transactional bank. But certainly over time, we realized that with a, a clean piece of paper and without the, the cost of, of, of large legacy systems that its competitors had, that Capitec was going to be a, a real competitor, competitor on that side. And again, when, when it first started, it had the rating of a micro lender. And, and that wasn't far after the sort of African bank Unifor type of, of, of situation where really, you know, micro lenders really particularly weren't, weren't well rated. And we realized over time with a management team that were 
highly incentivized and, and, and you know, highly motivated that they would build a, a wonderful business. And over time, the sort of uh, micro lending part of the business would effectively, you know, become less and less of the mix and the transaction bank would become the, the biggest earnings base. And obviously that came with a higher rating. So, I mean, again, it's identifying those things early. And I think probably most importantly, having the, the ability to understand when, when, when these shares hit fair value, to have the discipline to exit. I mean, you know, we are no longer investors in Capitec and certainly haven't been for a number of years. And I think it's, it's incredibly important to, to have the discipline to, to sell out of positions once they reach their, their fair, fair value. I mean, another case would obviously be Tungela as well, that, that, that once the share price was well over 300 rand, we felt that the, the risk-reward profile just wasn't there anymore and we exited our position in, 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 you know, totally. And I think that really is one of the, the, the key differentiators is the ability to sell positions that perhaps you, you, may, you may have fallen in love with, but at the end of the day, you have to have the discipline that once it hits your fair value that you need to exit and move on to new, new opportunities. Yeah, I think you've had some pretty amazing winners over the years. You spoke about Capitec and Tungela Resources, and I think you were also one of the first institutional investors in new European property investments, better known as NEPI, which is a, a retail property developer that began life in Romania. What is the investment philosophy at Peregrine that underlies your approach to going in early on some of these rather interesting investments that other people pick up much later? I think it's just doing deep dives on fundamental research. I mean, if you look at the example of, of, of Tungela, I mean, it was set up to win. It was set up to be successful. I think Anglo-American were a very responsible unbundler of, 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 of this share. I think they capitalized it with three billion rands worth of cash. And they also gave it an 18-month underpin on the, on the coal price. So again, Anglo-American were very responsible in unbundling it and trying to really set it up for success, which clearly they did. And, and again, we realized there would be somewhat of an overhang post the unbundling. People wouldn't want a coal mine in their mix. It was a very small part of the Anglo-American uh, basket as well. And we realized there would be probably pretty indiscriminate selling of the share. And, and with those two fundamentals being a strong balance sheet and an underpin on the coal price for an 18-month period, we just felt you were buying what we would call a kind of one-way option. The downside was absolutely protected almost by, by cash value and the value of that option. And obviously, any sort of upside in the coal price would be you know, very fundamental to the performance of that share price. So again, you know, just doing deep dive research and understanding the business as early as we can, and then understanding how, how the thing will progress. I mean, I think there's no doubt that, you know, with the, 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 the Russian invasion of Ukraine, there was a very significant second leg up to that, that investment in Tungela. I think before that, that the, the Russian invasion, the share price had already got to four or three or four times what we paid for it. But obviously, the, 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 the real kicker was the, the, the situation around Europe, Europe buying, you know, uh, seaborne coal again, um, which gave it another leg up. And to be frank, that, that was probably more luck than anything else. But I think when you buy something that's got downside protection, sometimes you do get a little bit lucky and, and we'll need to take that with both arms. I was looking at the investment results sheet. Had you invested a million rand in Peregrine High Growth Fund when it launched, that would have turned into 130 million today. Very impressive. What are the other factors that, are, that, that contributed to that growth? 
I think what we've tried to do with our investment process is to back good management teams that are similarly incentivized with, 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 with a shareholder alignment. I think that's an important process. I think we've tried to avoid companies with too much debt. I think debt is a obviously a double-edged sword, and it's uncanny how often you know, uh, too much debt coincides with tough trading conditions where your, your cash flow decreases and obviously your, your debt stays the same. So again, commodity shares, I mean, I guess Tungela being the exception, but generally speaking, we've stayed away from commodity shares. I think uh, a fundamental research um, background, uh, at the end of the day, it's incredibly difficult to predict commodity prices. So commodities have been a, a very small part of our performance over that period. I think we just, we, you know, we don't follow benchmarks. We sit down and we try and put the best possible ideas we find into the fund. And I think what we do is we're also patient. You know, we know that the, the fat pitches only come across every two or three years. But when they do, we need to have the experience to recognize them and hit them as, as, as hard as we can and, and, and take significant positions. You know, at one stage in Tungela, we had close to 10% holding in our funds. And I think that you know, when we realized that the, the, the downside was so protected at that point in time, it just made absolute sense to, to continue to buy. We also like things like complicated structures. I mean, I think that, 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 that we do a lot of fundamental work. I mean, you mentioned the African bank um, offshore bonds that we, were, that we bought during the African bank collapse. Certainly our, our workings and our, our, our modeling told us that those bonds were really not significantly at risk from the African bank equity failure. You know, and I just think that there, there's there, there's lots of, of, of examples where by doing good, hard, fundamental research, um, you know, you can get yourself a sustainable market edge, particularly in the South African market. I presume that there were some hard lessons learned along the way. You've had quite a few rather choppy times that you've had to navigate. Tell us about some of these lessons that you learned. Look, I, I think the more I'm in markets, the more I believe it, 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 it's more of an art than a science. I think that, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, when you, when you have your eye in and you're doing well, um, you know, it, it seems to stay that way. And, and, and conversely, when you start getting things wrong, you know, it's not normally ones or twos, it's kind of sixes and sevens. But I do think that, that, that we always, when we go through a period where we've perhaps made some investment mistakes, I think we always sit down and reflect and try and analyze those mistakes to make ourselves better. And, and, and I think the important thing is to not make the same mistakes again. I mean, I think, unfortunately, investments, we you know, will always make mistakes. I, I always say to the guys, you know, investing is a contact sport and, and, and you know, you are going to have um, disappointments and things that don't go your way. But you've got to learn from them. And, and I wish I could say we would never make investment mistakes again, but we will. We just can't make the same investment mistakes um, that we have done previously. And I think what we do is we analyze those mistakes in detail and, and try and put out learnings from how we could have been better in an investment process. And there's no doubt when we face with a similar situation, those memories come back into play and we, we, we certainly do, do learn from our mistakes. Finally, looking forward to the next 25 years, what uh, do you expect for Peregrine? Well, I'm, I'm personally very excited. I think we've certainly got a fantastic team with us at the moment. Um, I think we've got great expertise. I'm, uh, you know, I think that the South African market, despite South Africa not really being a, a, a great growth opportunity itself, there still are significant market opportunities that are around. And, you know, I'm excited. I always say to people that... Uh, 
if I'd sent my CV to Peregrine Capital, I wouldn't even have got an interview. So I'm, I'm just lucky I was employee number two. But we've got great expertise and a great team with us. And we look forward to, to certainly another 25 years of, of continued success and continued returns for our, for our, for our investors. Well, congrats again on the 25th anniversary. That was David Fraser, who's chairman and co-founder at Peregrine Capital.